Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are listening to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. Swung on, winds the deep left field. It is gone! This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 159. I'm your host, Matt Lyons, and in this week's episode, we have some nice vintage meatballs. We'll talk about something for the Indians to leave behind in 2020, talk about the recent Francisco Mejia trade, Ray Caldwell getting struck by lightning and completing the game, and of course, we'll answer your questions. Uh, joining me for all that and more is another Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how are you doing? I was struck by lightning, but I will finish this podcast all the same. Much like Ray Caldwell, I am a hero, a legend, if it were. Are you going to throw a, whatever the equivalent of a no-hitter is in three podcasts? Um, Ray Caldwell didn't do that. Johnny Van, Van, Vandermeer did that. Or he threw two or something like that. What? No, did what he throw th- one like right afterwards against the Yankees? He did. He threw one later yeah. that year, yes. That did happen. <laughs> it's like directly after him. I just <laughs> read know? the article, Merritt. Don't mess with me he, more than I'm now. It's... He had the lightning within him. He had the power of Thor within him. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, so how's uh, how's your, I guess, couple weeks now? We haven't talked in a while. It's, been, it's, been, it's been a stretch of time. Uh, it's been fantastic, you know. I'm just enjoying living three minutes away from my a local brewery. It's been great. Great way to pass the time in the pandemic is going down there. They have some food trucks I get to take advantage of sometimes and sit on their patio, even though it's cold out. Uh, there's white nationalists taking over to the downtown of the city I live in. So that's a positive. Uh, that's a recent development, of course. Although not yeah, the brewery, that's always we... fun. we got a brewery. We've but the a... brewery's great, you know? I mean, <laughs> fantastic. So, yeah. They haven't invaded that yet. It's good. It's good. I got. I hope no one that uh, I work with uh, listens to this podcast, but I received a gift uh, from my boss, and it was a signed Bob Feller baseball, which is really cool. Now, what's funny about that is I already own one. So, now I have two. Um <laughs> Now, obviously, it's very nice to send one to me. So, no, I think I'm going to use that one to play catch. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to roll it in the mud and sit on it and just roll. What's like in the hit movie, uh, the the Sandlot? I'm going to hit it over the the fence of a grumpy old man who has a gigantic dog and then befriend him, thus gaining the power of. I don't remember how that movie ended. Um, (laughs) Thor, I believe it's the power of Thor. That game. I believe that's what it was. As far as I know, all movies end with the main character gaining some sort of supernatural power because that's all movies are anymore is superhero movies. I assume that one was too because time has flattened out for me. What was last week was also six months ago. So I assume what was six months ago was also, I don't know, whenever that movie came out. So there you go. Anyway, yeah, great. How about you? How's how's life up in (laughs) wherever the hell you live? It's got an upstate New York. It's it's going. It's the same thing. I I live near a brewery, but I barely ever go to it because I feel awkward going in there because it's just... There's always just one person there behind the bar, and I have to like awkwardly go to the the fridge and get the thing and take it out. But and I don't sit outside anywhere yet. I haven't done that, but I do even less than you do, so it's fun. It's really great. It's a pleasant, you know. It's it's fun. It's yeah. great doing nothing until it doesn't drive crazy. 
you know what? Uh, you know what won't drive you crazy, Matt? What's that? Meatballs. Meatballs. It's a it's a fun little segment where we serve you up little fun nuggets of information. Meatballs over the plate, if it were, as it were. Um, so yeah, I'll let you go first this week, Merritt. What's your uh, vintage meatball? We're gonna be looking back at fun uh, little things I to talk about. Musty meatballs or moldy meatballs. I or... think moldy was our term. Yeah, is moldy. What we're going with? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well. As you know, Matt, I like weird little outliers as far as uh, statistics are concerned. Uh, they usually draw my attention whether I'm writing about a star or just some random dude. And uh, today I'm going to be talking about a bit about Bib Falk. Perhaps you've heard of him. You probably haven't, though, uh, because he played baseball from the years 19-something to 19-something else. But, you know, the early ones. Uh, here we go. 1920 to 1931. So not the dead ball era, per se, but, you know. A dead-ish time. Uh, Bib was a pretty good player. He played for the White Sox for, um, what is this, 12 years? Eight years. Some number of years. Most of his career. And he was good for them, right? He had a couple pretty good seasons. He hit 352 one year. Uh, he hit 345 another year. In fact, he had a stretch there where he hit, 300, he hit over 300 for five straight years, averaging 328 uh, with a 122 OPS plus. Pretty good stuff. Now, well, the reason I bring him up is, Bib is, I believe it's third all time in bad air and OPS against the White Sox as a Cleveland Indian player. Uh, Bib came to the, the Indians in 1929. And again, he was fine for the Indians. Uh, he hit 312, he hit 325, hit 304 with OPS pluses of 122, 114, and 107 before retiring and becoming a manager. But uh, when he was with Cleveland, oh damn it, I closed it. Uh, he beat the piss out of the White Sox, a team that uh, cut him, if you will. Uh, and he hit, if you'll give me just a moment to call this back up. <laughs> Once this page here Once loads. this page here loads, because I was using a different computer, and I should have filtered this a bit more. Anyway, he had a 985 uh, OPS against the White Sox by himself. He had an overall OPS of 821 as a, as a baseball player over the many years he did play. The only people ahead of him are Hank Edwards, who was pretty good, Jim Tomey, and Wes Farrell, who you and I were talking about a bit earlier, and who he will, who will be featured in one of my uh, war leaders of Cleveland fame. I just think it's amazing how much he was just like, oh, you're going to cut me, are you? Well, I'm going to beat the absolute crap out of you for the next three years. And he sure did, man. He hit 364, 425, 561. Um yeah, just absolutely annihilated the White Sox uh, when he came over to Cleveland, and uh, it's pretty satisfying. I, you know, I had guys like Tris Speaker, even Ryan Rayburn uh, has a lower uh, OPS against the White Sox as a Cleveland player than Bib Falk. We all know how much damage he did to the White Sox. So. There you go. A little bit convoluted, a little bit fun, a little bit of a fuck you player, which is a lot of fun to have, too. You know, just like, I hate you guys. I'm going to kill you. This is your fault. I would like to believe those exist and they're they're real more than they probably are. I, I, I'm sure back then it probably was. I wish there were more of them now who were more like fuck you revenge players, but I can't think of one now who like left a team at any kind of recent memory that would have left a team and then got so mad that he played really good against them. I, don't, I, don't I know. mean, Chipper Jones just hated the Mets and beat the <laughs> crap out of them, and he yeah. named his kid Shea because he loved hitting there so much. <laughs> uh, and there's cases like that where a guy just seems to just just hate a single player. Uh, in MLB The Show, my fake player was uh, was drafted by the uh, uh, Dodgers and then immediately traded to the uh, Giants. And so I, I proceeded to kill them over the next, you know, whatever, dozen years. I think I hit something over you know, over those dozen years, like 500 home runs against them. So, you know, it happens in video games or something. Yeah, it would be nice life. to know that the, the guy really locks himself in to kill against a specific team. 
Yeah, so that's that's a nice uh, nice story of a quality player who I'm sure um, played several years and was pretty good. Do you know who didn't play for several years and was pretty good? Who's that? Uh, somebody named Eddie Kalm, who was I actually oh, discovered sure. this. We don't know all about him. We were talking about everybody. Him last week. <laughs> everybody knows Eddie Kalm. <laughs> yeah. um, Eddie Cobb, I guess, not Kalm. But um, so I was watching Foolish Baseball, who was a, a YouTuber who makes a bunch of baseball things, um, and he had one about the Spiders specifically, the Cleveland Spiders, who were absolutely terrible in their last season of existence um, in 1899. Because they, I believe it was their brother or somebody bought St. Louis. And then they traded pretty much all the players and their manager to St. Louis. The team finished 134 losses. Uh, but yeah, the, so they finished the season of that miserable year in Cincinnati. Um, and they stayed at a hotel. And there was this, uh, it, Saber called him a cigar boy. I'm not completely sure what that is. Is that just a, a, a kid who brings cigars? Because he was a teenager at the time. He was 19. Um, so he was a cigar, cigar boy at a Cincinnati hotel. But uh, basically, he convinced the manager to let him pitch in the last game of a doubleheader on the last day of the season. Um, he managed to pitch eight innings, which by itself is something. Um, he allowed earned he allowed nineteen runs, but only five Holy of them were shit. earned. <laughs> he walked five, didn't allow a single home run, and he hit a guy. So uh, there's multiple things about this that I love. I mean, the fact that he just he he asked the manager to pitch. I, I don't know what kind of convincing had to go into him. The the way Saber put it, like. Obviously, the players were coming in at that point with 133 losses, so they were just exhausted and done, and they probably just didn't care anymore. But, I mean, he convinced the, the manager to let him pitch in that last game. He did. It, also, the fact that only five of the runs were earned. Like, he pitched against a major league team and on a terrible team, but the rest of the team was worse than he was, which tells you just how bad the Spiders were. Um, but So he finished with an ERA, I mean, in one start of 10.13, which is bad, but it's not as bad as if he actually earned allowed 19 earned runs. Um, so that was cool. That Seems that like whole team talented... is worth a deep dive. But Eddie Cobb in specific, just because he pitched the very last game, he he never pitched before or again afterwards. He did go on to do some other stuff in baseball, but that was the one game he pitched. Uh, his fan graph page is completely barren except for that one game. I can't even find a box score for it because it was so long ago. But um, I thought that was neat that he had that one weird game a long time ago. So I uh, Googled Cigar Boy while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was hoping you would do that because I didn't know what it was. And it's great. Some of the photos that come up include just a picture of uh, Ohio's own Joe Burrow after <laughs> having won the national championship, which is a weird one. I don't think he was just, a cigar boy. He was just a boy with a cigar. Uh, many of these are just boys with cigars or or men with cigars, I guess. They're cool guys hanging out in their car wearing mirrored glasses, smoking cigars. You know the type. Uh, uh, there's no information here. It's a boy, cigars. Cigar I would assume it's just somebody freestyle. like a waiter for just cigars, I guess, probably. I assume so. You know, it's like a cigarette girl, but, you know, cigar boy. So, yeah, that's fair. And another thing I, I'm noticing just now as I was looking over stuff on Baseball Reference, I don't know why they give you this information, but it has born July 20th, 1880, sure. He was in, born in Cincinnati. He died October 1st, 1949, sure, uh, in Calgary. Buried, he was cremated. Why? Why does Baseball Reference have that? I don't <laughs> Is it, yeah, I is guess, weird. is there people that are buried somewhere significantly, but he was just cremated? I get they keep track of everything, but that seems like a weird one. Do you want to, like, find all the batters who were buried in Tuscaloosa and then yeah, maybe sort them? Yeah, maybe you want to go and, I'm going to click, because buried, if you go on baseball reference, is actually a It's clickable, link. yeah. You can see. Holy crap, I can go anywhere. A lot of guys buried in Alabama, jeez. Somebody was buried at sea. Who was that? Ooh, Ed Porto. American Samoa. Tony Solieta. Uh, was not great as a player. Uh, cemetery immediately outside his home in Newly. I don't know anything about American Samoa. Yeah. But he did see, hit 50 a, home runs. such a so. weird thing, yeah. Oh, no, uh, birthplace. Wow, here? that guy was born at sea. That's cool. 
I didn't know that. Only uh, 14 buried in Vermont. Anyone good? Well, anyway, man, I'm just going to spend the rest of the podcast <laughs> yes. doing this. <laughs> There's one guy born at sea, two died at sea. Oh, Ray uh, Collins nobody was a pretty good player. Sea, but, All right. But yeah, I don't, I don't know why Baseball Reference does that. I guess uh, if they have the information, why not use it, I guess, is their thing, because they collect everything else. But It'd be um, fun to do a cross-reference of uh, place of death versus place of burial. Uh, so, you know, because more people... Yeah, that'd have, be uh, fun. People, yeah. yeah, you know, that's an exciting <laughs> way to spend time. Yeah, at sea. There they are. The place of death at sea. Arthur Irwin and Nub Kleinke. Now, I know I was reading that book about uh, Old Hoss Radborn, and many people caught the disease that, all, that ultimately led to their demise uh, well at sea because they got, you know, whatever, syphilis or something while on a tramp steamer going around the, the Cape of Good Hope for some reason. I don't know. 1880s baseball players were... Uh, cool bunch hmm. let's see who's buried in nevada anyone cool <laughs> while you're doing that merit um, not really a lot how, of about, how about we jump from one poorly conceived segment to another where we uh pick one thing I, I was gonna do more than one but i only have one is for the what the cleveland baseball team should leave in the past i'm with you um, obviously we had a new year go past since our last um podcast most quality podcasts they probably would have done this right before the new year but we're gonna do it five days after Quality um, is a nebulous idea anyway. <laughs> it's not a term that comes along often. <laughs> but, uh, but one thing that you said Indians could leave in 2020, so not quite like a resolution going forward, just something they did a lot that they need to stop uh, doing in the future. That would be having, uh, and I think they're doing it, which is nice to see. Uh, I would like them to leave uh, relievers with below average fastballs in 2020. And luckily, with James Karinczak and the, the return of Emmanuel Classe, and uh, and just by the skin of his teeth, uh, what's his name? Phil Maton has a just barely above average fastball. <laughs> so that's three. Uh, Logan Allen, again, 94.1, is above average. Uh, I'm being very generous on this. Nick Whitgren could show a little more improvement and be above average. Uh, probably not because things keep going faster and faster. But still, uh, there's a chance that they are doing that. Um, maybe not. Probably not. But... That's of all the things, just it's a little thing, but I've it's always been a sense of just like, come on, man, in my head when they're just throwing, like, you know, they're coming out of the bullpen and throwing a mere 94, like, you know, tw- well, 20 years ago. That's yeah. incredible. I was just watching Major League again because it was on, and like, Wild Thing Vaughn is throwing 96, and they're like, oh, shit, this guy's <laughs> just seeing that now. He's gonna like, blow oh, his arm off. <laughs> He's just breaking signs, and people are just like, where's the ball? I can't even see. I don't even know, man. Which, of course, is the same time that Nolan Ryan was existing and throwing probably 98 for his entire career. But that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, I would say of all the it's, – it's, I'm sure there's bigger things, uh, more frustrating things. Being bad uh, when they should be good is another thing. But that's the one thing I would say is just below average arms in the bullpen, which it looks like they're making a big push towards having – and they had a good bullpen last year, I guess, right? Yeah, it helps they're actually developing these guys for one. Because as we learned with Andrew Miller, it's extremely expensive to trade for them. So correct, and like you know, you you look at uh, even uh, you know even without Miller, that that staff had some pretty good arms. Um, Miller, not Miller, um, Allen, Cody Allen. Yeah, um, I don't think Brian Shaw had a great fastball. He was just a a workhorse. Yeah, but it it moved like a a quarter mile. So and and it it paired well with sliders, cutter, and slider combo. And also he he did you know he hit ninety four sometimes. It had some decent velo, but had the movement too. So Um, I would say that is my thing, though. Yeah, Um, mine is something I also think they're (laughs) for better or worse doing this year. I don't know if it's out of planning or just lack of money, but stop blocking um, 
interesting prospects with oh, yeah. 36 year olds. No more um, whoa, whoa, Carlos whoa, whoa, Gonzalez. Whoa. No more Domingo Santana. <laughs> oh, you're calling um, all of my favorite names. Hanley Ramirez. Those <laughs> no more Hanley days. Ramirez. Oh, yeah, man. Please no. Let's just leave that in 2020. Leave it oh, way man. back. I, I think those they're doing it. Names. I don't think they're doing it out of any kind of strategic point it's just lack of money but no more delano to shields i mean he's just not they didn't pick up his option or his uh, man i'm just thinking who are some who are some free agents right now who were really good six to eight years ago what do you think who's gonna be some guys what do you think who's gonna they just sign for cheap i mean michael brantley <laughs> hmm, but he's still good is the That's, issue oh, okay you're saying not good now not okay. good anymore but were good you're, six to eight years ago <laughs> you're trying to spur my thing they should leave behind and entice them to i'm just curious ignore so, it i'm just I'm just asking questions, like any good intellectual. I don't actually know off the top of my head. I am not looking at looking single, it up in the like, back. Yeah, I haven't looked at any, any of that crap. Um, right now I'm looking at their prospect list, which I'm looking at some of my favorite players, like Carlos Vargas and Emmanuel So the problem Klasse. is I know, in reality, they're not going to be signing anybody, so I haven't even like looked at free agents, really. I mean, Mitch Moreland is a free agent. That's somebody, maybe. Ooh, that's um, a good one. Yeah, he was he wasn't even good six to eight years ago. <laughs> he was okay. good enough that <laughs> they would consider it. Probably Zach. He was Cozart. an okay platoon bat, is what he was. Ooh, Zach Cozart had had one good year. Now that's what I'm talking about. That is a Ryan Braun. Signing. He's a free agent, oh, thirty seven years old. Nah, he was too good last year. But I guess they get him for cheap ish, and he wouldn't have to move. Like, he could just commute from Wisconsin. That's not too far at all. Yeah, and, I mean uh, Jay Bruce is out there. There's a lot of outfielders, which is a concern. <laughs> they have all these guys, and I mean, like even the Fangraphs least their top prospects, and uh, Daniel Johnson got one of the few 80 grades on his arm. I mean, like I'm I'm slightly concerned about him at this point because if I feel like it's a Francisco Mejia thing again, where like they know something we don't, but just give the kid a chance. <laughs> don't block him again with Lionel DeShields or I don't know Jerks and Profar, whoever they want to stick in the outfield, but. Look, if they were, if they could get good player, players who are at least mediocre, I can almost see an, an understanding in blocking them. But when they get bad players, and block <laughs> well, even mediocre roster. this year, I don't think it it's not going to tip them over the edge. Like at this point, I think if if you look at where their prospects are and like what their team looks like, it, this seems like a sunk year in twenty twenty two is when a bunch of people could come up and like I would hope by twenty twenty three everything is clicking again. But I mean, this is the year where you just let like the Daniel Johnsons and whoever else get chance to play. Um, I agree. Well, Owen I Miller agree. in the infield. I know, I know we talked about. I know we talked talk about, about a lot, yeah. But well, we talked about it last year about how just 2020 was not the year for trying new things. I guess uh, it was about gritting your teeth and trying to get through with this. <laughs> <laughs> that was the motto for the for 2020 life, really, Cleveland yeah. baseball team. Yeah, um, just grit yeah. and get through it. Yeah, <laughs> just grin and bear it, baby. Let's get this over with. This is just sucks. Uh, but yeah, I would say uh, we nice if they would just uh, you know I mean, have a whole full spring training and give Daniel Johnson a chance to actually get it. I mean, Bradley, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm planning on cutting bait on Bradley Zimmer soon. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've got very little hope left in that. I mean, if oh, Johnson is anything and Nolan Jones comes up, there's no more room for Bradley Zimmer. I mean, Oscar Mercado has center field and then the other Which two are I'm not even, so done. I'm not even uh, tied into that at all. Well, I mean, so, I'm way more sold yeah. on him than Bradley Zimmer at this point. As much as That's I love great. that big lanky bastard, it's he's not making it happen so far. We can still dream, though. The dream will never die. The Wario life. <laughs> now, the Indians, of course, are doing absolutely nothing this offseason. Like most teams, because of they can. it's a mix of actual damages by the pandemic and just saying they have damages by the pandemic. But uh, there's nothing happening. But by the goodness of their heart, the Padres are just making up for everybody 
and they were super nice to do a trade that involved Francisco Mejia, so I could find something to write about last week, which was because um, basically what it did is the Padres they sent a bunch of players over to the Rays for Blake Snell, and one of them, of course, was catcher Francisco Mejia, who didn't catch out in Cleveland as a prospect. They ended up sending him for the Brad Hand trade, and now at this point, with uh, Brad Hand's option was declined, Adam Simber was non-tendered. No, he was traded. Everybody's gone from that trade. So it's very rare in like two years. Holy you can look shit. At a trade. Yeah, everyone is gone from that trade. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, it's very rare you can look at winners and losers this soon. But I mean, I, I think you kind of can. And I think the Indians, they came out on top of that one. If anything, just because of Brad Hand. Because Francisco Mejia was basically nothing. Adam Simber was nothing. But Brad Hand was a really good closer for two separate halves of two different seasons. And he was surprisingly okay in another one this year when it looked like he was going to be bad. But. He was very effective this year. I mean, yeah, the results were better than the process, but who gives a shit when the results? I mean, at this are... point, when you're not projecting him, it was just it's what you got out of him. So sure, you can celebrate yeah. it because yeah, no, it you're not worried about his future year. at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like you said, I, the, the just by virtue of the fact that they they got major league stuff out of two different players. I mean, we can sit here and complain about Adam Simber all we want, and we will, uh, but that's for a later date. Oh, I will. Don't you worry. <laughs> Oh, yes. But, I, you know, he was at least interesting and neat and allowed me to write five articles at least. Uh, <laughs> at least. <laughs> which I never got from Francisco Mejia. I got maybe one, two. I don't know. Uh, but that, uh, yeah, a trade. Uh, for, and I was thinking about this in a grander sense when I was researching my, my meatball for today. And I was just, for some reason, I clicked on Edwin Encarnacion's um, uh, profile on Baseball Reference. And God Cleveland just knows when to cut bait right at the right moment or when to make the move right when you need. It's like, I fully believe Brad Hand is going to get $45 million from the Mets in, uh, in 2021 and be terrible. Like, I just expect it at this point. But, you know, yeah, once again, I, I, you can't sit here and call it a hoodwinking. But at the same time, they got effective borderline all-star caliber relief pitching for what, what ended up being a non-asset, right? Like, Francisco Mejia was... Was never anything for the. I mean, he, he did he even play for. I, mean, I know he played some, but he, he did. He hit a couple home runs in a game. I think it was one of his first games, and then he did. Yeah, nothing. okay, yeah. He so, a, he's but, a terrible I, catcher. He can't hit. So yeah, exactly. He just he had no role at all, and he's just what do you do? He ended up hitting hitting having an in two years with the with the Padres, three hundred and sixteen games, three hundred forty four plate appearances, at a combined six eighty um, OPS. Yeah, no, you can kind of look at that and say, no, thank you, sir. I'm going to move on from this. And um, yeah, it's. Now, the issue is, yeah, that he's going to the Rays because if if, if they know something about him, they're going to fix it. And then he's going to be what we thought he was going to be when he's a prospect. But I I think the Indians and assumingly every other team, because of what they got back for Francisco Mejia, saw something that every external scout didn't see with him because they, they pretty clearly knew he wasn't always cracked up to be. They knew his defense was terrible and they really valued catcher defense. Um, if you remember back right before the trade happened, it was Tito was making weird comments in the media. Like it was as close as you can get to saying we're really done with this kid because they were just trying to convince him to stay, to not stay as a catcher, but he was just convinced he was going to be a catcher. And then I think even if he could hit, that wouldn't have changed their mind because they wanted to have like a Roberto Perez or somebody who could catch behind the plate. They really value controlling a staff and that was not Mejia, but he was determined to stay a catcher. So they got what they could out of him and they got, what was it? Two and a half years of a pretty good closer. So, yeah. I mean, and looking at just looking at the trade. I mean, I don't know what was he, in your eyes. I guess what was he in that deal for Blake Snell? I don't think he, he's far from the centerpiece of that deal either. You know, he's oh, he was of just a, their 
Yeah, he was just their flyer, their lottery ticket, I think. Yeah, kind of a kind of a throw in, like along with you know, kind of the way Simber was in, in in that deal. So, yeah, oh yeah, he's they 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 said we can fix him. Maybe if not, we've got this. They got like some pitcher who can already pitch, right? I think they've got a, a major league ready pitcher who can help him out. But but yeah, I think Mejia is just if they get him, he's a bonus. If not, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, he'll he'll just be another guy they churn through the machine, and if it pops out positive on one end, then there you go, they're happy. But I don't know, I. I I'm not going to sit here and say that the, the Rays are, are able to like suddenly bless players and make them turn into superstars because I don't think that's actually a I thing. Think it's that's pretty ever. close. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're the closest I'm, to it. Like, if I'm, the Indians are really to... good at cutting bait, the Rays are really good at fixing bait. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like I'm, like, again, I'm looking at like the the guys who were really good. For, Brandon Lu- uh, Luff, I guess. I mean, I, I guess he's he is one, but he was he came up with them. We'll kind of look at the reclamation project they have on the team now. Like Yandy Diaz, we always knew he was going to be pretty good, right? Like he was going to be good. He hits the ball hard and has great bat to ball. Uh, Glass now always had the right stuff, but even you know, it's I don't know. I'm I, I, I hesitate to say that they're going and making you know turning straw into gold or anything like that. That's true. At, yeah. the, same at time, the very least, they're good at trading, which is. Yes. That Pirates trade is still an all-timer of a steal. <laughs> and then this well, one. I mean, the problem with that in general is just the Pirates aren't good at managing anything, quite honestly. They just don't do a good job of anything you need to do to run a baseball team. So if you see anyone there that has any kind of – like I think it kept Archer. Archer would still would have been an effective pitcher uh, for the Rays because they would have known how to use him and what his strengths were. But, again, they, like you said, they cut bait at the right time. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't, it's hard to say the Rays are a bad team because they are a great team. Weren't they just in the World Series, I'm pretty sure? Yep, there it is. Okay. So, you know. Yeah, I feel like there was a little bit of um, overreaction to trading Snell. The fact that he was it, was... it was the same like when the Indians traded Kluber. The fact that he was a Cy Young a couple years ago, it doesn't mean he's going to be that going forward. I think there were clearly some things with Snell. Like he has clear troubles the third time through the order. It's what led to the weird decision in the World Series. I think, I mean, even if you look at his last couple of years, he's he's a really good pitcher, but he's also not a Cy Young winner anymore. And I think it's like the like what Cleveland tries to do. They're trying to cut bait at the right time, and we'll see if they actually did it or if they did it too soon. And the uh, the uh, Padres get a good pitcher out of him. But I mean, it's also a, fun that just the fact that the Padres are going for it. And that Cy Young win is also a shocking outlier within his, within his season, within his um, career. Right, yeah. It wasn't like Kluber who won two. It was just the one. Right, exactly. So he had one, and then everywhere else he's been – Fine, I guess he had a basically a league, a career, a, a personal average year this year for most numbers. Which again, three twenty four ERA, pretty good, pretty good. But I don't. Know. I mean, I, I, I don't. I don't expect to hear the name um, Francisco Mejia again much anymore, which is sad, of course. But again, hey, maybe they will. He won't catch for them. I mean, if another team oh, God, values no. catching <laughs> like catch Cleveland them. does, it's going to be them. Like they, they'll roll out. They were they were rolling out trash heaps at, at catcher offensively just because they can. Do all the right things. I remember I read an article a couple of years ago now when the I think it was for a different website, but when when Mike Zanino got traded for some some catcher who could hit um, when he was on the uh, Mariners, I, I just it was so obvious that the Mariners were going to miss him because that was a team very much built on pitching. And wouldn't you know, the next year they had just a dreadful pitching year because they had a guy who ended up hitting. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but they had a guy who ended up hitting pretty good, but he wasn't helpful to the team i suppose so you know it's, it's one of those things where they, they understand as much as uh, cleveland does the, the true value of a, of a good catcher like it's something we can't quantify because we don't have good numbers but you know it's real maybe it's real 
Um, so yeah, the, the next thing we're going to talk about is it's not really much of a, a conversation piece, especially if people listening are fans of Cleveland baseball, they're pretty much aware of the story, but just kind of a recommendation for something that was kind of cool. Um, secret base, which is a thing that SB nation people do like, uh, what is grim, it? It's just a, it's like a John boy. If you know who John boys is, it's just John oh, yeah, boys. We the used website. To work at a, <laughs> yeah, he used to work at a, a radio shack. Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's him and, um, Kofi. Yaboa's videos and like it's their weird little aesthetic. It's basically just a storytelling thing, and it's really neat because this one is about the Ray Caldwell situation where he got struck by lightning, finished a game, um, and then came back and pitched a, a no hitter a few days later against the Yankees, the team that traded him the season before that, which was basically a salary dump. They didn't want him and traded him, but he came back through a no hitter after getting struck by lightning. That was cool. So if you haven't um, read this story already, I think it's a neat way to get introduced to it. Um, maybe you have read it. It's just a, I just like this website. It's not like, I know it's another explanation thing, but they didn't tell me to do it. It's just, I think it's neat. And it's, I don't know how to describe this aesthetic other than John Boyce. It's like, it's not quite Geo Cities. It's just a very distinct way they do everything, which is neat. But I like it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a neat story, too. I mean, I love players like this. They're just, they're just absolute garbage heaps of a human being. And then they're also a baseball player. Like, I just, I love the idea of baseball players from like the, basically before 1930, just being scum. Just absolute. Wait, was Ray Caldwell scum? <laughs> well, I mean, just a, just a horrible, I mean, for instance, uh, Caldwell's, quote, irregular habits, which got him cut from Boston, included drinking too much and just going missing for days on end. <laughs> he would just he would just disappear. like, And, like, you know, it's just that, that was the thing. I, I mentioned this before. You know, I, I read that book about Old Hoss Radborn. That was the 1880s. Like, there's literally a story in there about a pitcher who uh, he worked on a tramp steamer and went and spent several months in a brothel in, like, Brazil, ended up uh, sleeping underneath bear skins and catching – I don't know, some mysterious disease that ultimately wasted him away because they just, they, they lived in squalor and filth up until a certain point because it didn't pay well. But even now, you know, these guys are, um, you know, in the modern day, it's just a bunch of um, grown up boys at, at summer camp all year. And these guys were just, you know, less, a less varnished version of that. So they're just, you know, they just partied all summer basically and then went and worked at the hardware store all winter pretty much. But I love it. And then he got hit by lightning, which is tremendous. And then it was great. <laughs> and then finished so, the game, yeah. Yeah, finished it was the also, game and then yeah. shot lightning at people too. So <laughs> It was also kind of a, uh, I guess, a mirroring of current day. But like the players knew, at least what they said in the Secret Base article, that it was dangerous and they weren't sure if they should do it, but they just wanted to get the game. And it's very reminiscent of what we're going through now. That, <laughs> I mean, it's not the players this time, but it's very clearly danger out there, but we just want to get the games in. <laughs> and then, as opposed to being struck by lightning, it's a deadly virus, but. It's, it's just kind of a very similar thing to what we're going through now. Just nobody gets struck by lightning. Getting struck by lightning is way cooler. It's, I mean, it's interesting they didn't call the game. It was, it was already an official game. You know, you, you look at it, it was 2 1 in the ninth inning when you hit by lightning. I don't know why the batters seemed insistent on getting home early and beating up. I mean, I guess they want to get home early. They're just kind of working quickly. So they're just kind of, you know, one of those like kind of like one of those late season games you see when it's just, you know, two shitty teams out oh, of yeah. contention. Everybody just, just wants like, to go home. Yeah, there's kind of getting through it. There's a it's a three strikeout total game, but yeah. a wonderful tale. Uh, always always neat to see a guy just hit by lightning and just kind of go, nah, I don't, I don't care about this bullshit, and continue to kick your cat. So good for him, a hero, a hero of garbage men. There you go. Let me see. I answer some questions, man. Um, yeah, every uh, I guess what is this Tuesday, Monday, somewhere around there. Let's go on Facebook and Twitter for your questions. We've got a couple this week. Uh, first one is from Chris Z on Facebook. He asked how soon until Jose Ramirez is gone, which is such a depressing, but also what an asshole, <laughs> shockingly <Chris>. relevant question. <laughs> um, I mean, Jose Ramirez is on a really good contract, and he is really Let good. Let me just look at his contract real quick. Uh, it's not a better time to trade him. That's the uh, way you have to you look know at what? it. Now. 
I mean, he is. All right. I will say this. Matt? Wow. He is getting expensive. We were, <laughs> he was going to cost $11 million oh dollars in 2022. Do you know um, how many yachts that is? That's a lot of yachts. Good there. Lord. They're going to trade him after next season. Oh, oh absolutely. my God. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's through 2023, including club options. So, I mean, this season... I, I would assume he doesn't get past 2022. Like they at least trade him before that last year. Cause they're I'll be honest him. with you, man. I think they trade him after 2021. I mean, he's, he'll be 28. I assume he'll have a filthy season again. Cause he's good. Really good. Um, he's had r- roughly what two, three bad months in his entire career. <laughs> well, since um, he broke it, out, but yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, whatever. I mean, he's a typical season for him now is what he did in 2017 when he had 29 dingers and led baseball with 56 doubles. I mean, he's finished top three in MVP voting three times in the last four years. Like, it's crazy. Mike last Trout year was his no best MVP else. season too. Yeah, well, or his best know, that's the thing. Like, he's he's yeah, that's that's what's amazing. Like, he's he's hitting his he's hitting his prime right now. Um, not great, Bob. I mean, if you if you extrapolate it out, he would have hit what like 44 home runs or something like that. Like, he's just tremendous. So I would I would quite I, sadly I would say he'll probably be traded this uh, next offseason. Right. The thing is, like trading him now doesn't make any sense for multiple reasons. One, I think the I think the fan base is so beaten down at this point they won't do anything. I mean, the it also doesn't make sense. Be worth it. If they're doing the retooling thing where this is the year where they try young guys, it also doesn't make sense to keep them, which is another sad reality. Sure, but I mean, if fans are going to be coming to games, you, they need a reason to come. It, right, I mean, at the end of the day, they're still selling an entertainment product. So I would only, I would only say it doesn't make any sense to trade him this year, simply because the return, no matter what it is, uh, will be an underpay because you're getting three years of control of a legitimate MVP player, MV, like MVP caliber player. Uh, there's, there's no return that could get that. Like, who has the best farm system in baseball? Their top six prospects, maybe at that point, like it's. I don't know. I, I, it feels like still an underpay. Like three years of, of this kind of talent is, is that, that, that's basically nothing. Un, it's not even like that, it's twenty. That million is an years. unheard of trade, basically. You know. Yeah. But yeah, like so. you said, it's probably going to be after the season when they're and and like next year, if if they consider like the rebrand a positive that they can get people in with that, and like it's a brand new team, we have all this new stuff. Maybe they just like slide Jose Ramirez out the door there, which also sucks. And then they have I don't, I don't even know who do you sell. To fans coming in for the 2022 Cleveland Commodores when they have the rebrand. Because you can't, yeah, you can't sell. Uh, pitchers. I guess Nolan Jones? I guess, yeah, I mean, you, you need an everyday player, right? I mean, you can't sell pitchers because then you only have people showing up once every five days. You need everyday <laughs> Come watch players. Shane who, Bieber and nothing else. Yeah, and, and, and Zach Plezak, who's really electrifying everyone. Not really. I, I like Zach Plezak. But you know, like I'm looking at top like farm systems, which they're, they're different now, but the Rays would never trade for him, Tigers wouldn't, Padres wouldn't. They have a third baseman. They paid a lot of money for it. Um, Mariners are rebuilding, so you know it's like yeah, no, I, I don't know. Wait, what, what do you sell in twenty twenty two if you trade him in the winter afterward? Like you, a beautiful future? I don't know. It's a confusing one for sure. It just sucks. It's probably going to be again next year. Yeah, it's a question that at first seems shocking, but after that, when you when you look at the way the way Cleveland operates and Jose Ramirez. What he is like, they're gonna do it next yeah, season. He's only struck out four hundred and four times. That's incredible. 
I mean, remember at one point, he, like, it was just like, oh, he's Michael Brantley. That's pretty good. And then he, like, surpassed Michael Brantley by Fuck Michael Brantley, he said. And <laughs> <laughs> to be great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that question, Chris. Our next one, our next couple, actually, are from uh, Glenn Longwell, 89, on Twitter. Uh, he asked, is our pitching actually great, or do we benefit from a weak division this entire time? I would, I yes. would say... Yes to both. Yes to both, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. you can't 100%. discredit them for playing against bad teams, but also I think they're good against pretty much everybody. And I think it's more shocking that the offense... Well, I also think that as bad as the AL Central is, it's not always an offensive problem. Like, the White Sox are pretty decent. The Twins are just a powerhouse the last couple of years. So I don't think it's... If anybody would have suffered or would have benefited, it should have been the hitters, but they haven't, which is the weird thing. I think pitchers... The AL Central is, is a bad division. Two of the teams are absolutely abysmal, and the White Sox are just now coming around. But I think it's even out enough that they didn't, they're not purely great because they play in the AL central. I think Shane Beaver is just a really good pitcher. Um, It's bizarre that the offense cannot benefit from playing against the AL central so often as they do. That's the one that I think if they were really good, you could almost point to it because nobody has a pitching staff in this division besides Cleveland, but they just can't do anything with it. So, I don't I think mean, the pitching the staff is, is. I mean, just looking at his uh, year this year, for just to use Shane Bieber as as the example, right? He had how many starts did he have? Like eleven or something like that. Um, Twelve starts, and of those, I wrote about this too. You know, like the White Sox had one of the best offenses in baseball. He started against them twice. The Reds were very good offensively. Uh, the Brewers are good, were pretty good offensively. The Twins again, power. He had three, he had three starts against the Twins. One against the Brewers. One against the Reds, two against the White Sox, uh, and then the rest were Pirates, Royals, and Tigers. So, I mean, he faced the thing is he faced good offenses and he shut them down. And so, just use him as an example. Um, no, no team faces only superstar. You know, like no pitchers like you look at like, like a, the. I guess every year in the AL or the NL East, you're kind of screwed. But like you look at the um, the AL East, the, the Red Sox were dreadful. The Orioles are dreadful. Uh, Blue Jays are kind of coming around, and you have the Yankees and Rays. You can do that, but you can do that, that exact same thing a- across every division, right? Like in the West, the Astros, Athletics are good. Mariners are dreadful. Angels have three good players. Rangers are dreadful. Uh, the West, right? You have two superstar teams, uh, two teams basically headed towards the toilet uh, in the Giants and Rockies, and then I don't know anything about the Diamondbacks. I'll be honest with you, but they finish in the last place, so I, th- I assume they're bad. Uh, same thing with the Central, right? So it's to, to these to your points, he's facing the teams that are in front of him, and some are good and some are bad. And he did great against the good ones and did great against the bad ones. So I don't know. I mean, what what what, what more can a pitcher do than face the teams he sees and beat them or not beat them? Uh, if you look at it, even he had a he was better against um, okay never mind he had a .96 ERA against teams with a winning percentage under five hundred and a two two seven against teams with a winning percentage over five hundred. So and it's still really good though. It's not like yeah, he was he, terrible against winners. Exactly. He did everything he had to do against both. Like, it's – he was – you basically split it down the middle. I don't think you get to his versus. ERA without dominating the bad teams like he did, so. Right, exactly. So, it's – but everyone does that. You know, like, if you look at the, any any pitcher, any year, they have some amazing starts, and they're never against, like, top-tier teams. Top-tier teams beat you, or they'll score two runs off you in seven innings, which works out to, what is that, like a 320 ERA or something like that. So – um, maybe last two eighty something. I don't know. Whatever, whatever Matt says. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. All right, we'll finish up with one more from Glenn. He asks, uh, "What are the odds we bring up Daniel Johnson for opening day as opposed to manipulating his service time? No one needs another repeat of last year." Um, so I, I have two things that I think are important in this one. I think 
Um, I don't know if Daniel Johnson is good enough to warrant manipulating his service time at this point. I think if you think he can do enough this year, you just do it. And also, like, look at the Cubs situation. This is the year that they they basically got into a lawsuit and probably angered Chris Bryant to the point where he doesn't want to sign with them again. They they dragged out, said he needed to work on stuff in the minors and manipulated services time. This is the year they fought for, and they're selling everything. So, like, the, the, it shows you just how dumb manipulating service time is. Um, they could have just had him for a full year, his rookie year, but instead they shortened that. And now they're going to have him this extra year that they're not trying to win anyway. So I think if the Indians feel that Daniel Johnson can help this year, they'll just bring him up from the beginning. Nolan Jones is another story. They might, I think they legitimately can say they want him to play in real games in the outfield in AAA for a few games. I really don't have an issue with that. Everybody's going to cry that it's um, manipulation. Maybe it is to a point, but I also think that they they just want to see him play in the outfield in a real game, which they haven't got to do a whole lot with everything going on. But but I think Daniel Johnson, they know what he is. Um, they know his ceiling and his floor, what it is. And if they think he can help, they'll bring him up. If not, they'll, I don't know, resign to line on the shield and have him play another 130 games. So. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think it's, there's a good chance. I mean, he'll be at spring training. And when you look at who he's going, going up against as far as competition, you look at how much money the uh, team is going to spend this winter. Um, I think it's a great chance. I'm fine yeah. with it, too. You know, it's. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm it, fine either way. It, it's, it, he's, he, he doesn't warrant any kind of manipulation. Um, because he hasn't actually done anything, which, you know, it sucks to say, but he hasn't really proven that he is this damn valuable player that we need to make sure we have for seven years of cheap whatever. He's already 25 or something, isn't he? Like, it's not like he's young, I don't think. I think I think of someone else. I'm looking at, the, looking at the numbers now. Let me review these numbers. Dana, yeah, so he's, he's 25 and a half uh, this year. So, you know, again, he's... Not exactly, you know, a 19-year-old superstar that you need to do something like that with. He's At this point, he'd be over 30 if he hit free agency without you signing him, signing him to an extension at all. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't I think, think you're too worried about getting sense. his 32-year-old yeah, season. I think you just do what you can with him now. And yeah, exactly. Most, yeah. I don't, yep. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for those Positivity. questions, Ben. He has a bunch of more, but... We're going to wrap it up for now. So uh, if you don't follow us on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, uh, we're at Let's Go Tribe for now. Hopefully we'll get a change eventually. But Let's Go Tribe.com, you can find us. Uh, let's Go, or Let's, I already said Let's Go Tribe. But also let's find, find Let's Talk Tribe on iTunes, Twitter, wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a review that helps us out. And uh, mm-hmm. talk to you next week. I'll see you see then. Bye. Bye.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.